hearts. All right. So when we're in Romans chapter 5 this morning, and I know that's not our usual place uh, of where we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, but this study is a study that I was able to teach this past Saturday uh, for a conference for, it was based out of Chile, and it's for people who are coming in ministry, and, and uh, I was asked to teach for it, and, and I was blessed to study this, and I want to also give you guys this study that I personally have a deep connection to, because it is a, a, a study on my life first. The title of my study this morning is His Work in You to Persevere. And it's taken out of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And I want to start off by just reading these few verses in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 3. Paul writes, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this verse, it, it's, it's for me uh, so special. Because when I first read it, the Lord just gave me so much encouragement in, in the season of, of my life that I was in. That he was doing something that I myself wasn't even fully aware of. That he was doing a work in me through a trial in my life that I myself couldn't have created for myself. I couldn't have made myself grow stronger in this way. He had to allow me to go through this particular time in my life. And he has that in your life too. You've heard me say before, we all each individually have our own school that we go to. The school of, of Sal and the school of Jonathan. And you guys, you guys go to that school and when I say this, what that means is the Lord is teaching you guys through your own set of classes, through, through your own life classes. And those lessons that you have to learn and, the, and the, the tests that God allows into your life, God is allowing them because he wants you to grow and to learn perseverance. So without going too much into my testimony, I do want to recall where I was at when, when I first read this verse. I remember there was a, a season before I became a Christian, before I knew the Lord, that I, I was deep in drug use and fornication and, and the party lifestyle. And that led to a failed career path. It, it laid, led to me dropping out of college and, and broken relationships and a heart that was just empty. And after just being filled with, with all of the sin and with all the failure in my life, I needed a savior. I came to the place where I was like, okay, God, I need a new life. And I've heard that Jesus can give me a new life, so please just give me a new life. And I invited Jesus into my heart in, in the parking lot of in and out Burger when I was on drugs, and Jesus came into my heart, and some things overnight the Lord took away from me, some addictions the Lord just broke through. But other things the Lord after a season of time, allowed me to wrestle with as a, as a young believer. And one of those things that I really had to wrestle with as a new believer was depression. I, I can remember waking up to just feel this feeling of just, even as a believer, just as soon as I woke up, 
just feeling like I didn't want to be awake or like I didn't want to be alive really. And I, I didn't want to go to the place of suicide, but I just remember feeling like I, I wish I was just asleep all the time. I, I don't like this reality that I'm living. And I, the only thing that was going to give me peace of mind in that stage of my life was I had the Bible next to my bed and I would just wake up and I would just read it because I just felt like this strange sense of peace as I read it. I didn't understand half of what I was reading, but the Lord was doing a spiritual work in me. And suddenly the Lord was giving me a hunger for the word where I didn't know why, but I was just always going to the Bible to just get through it. And then I came to this verse as I was going through the New Testament and I came through Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, and the Lord began to speak to me. He began to show me that he was teaching me, that he was molding me and strengthening me, creating something through this testing that I was going through. See, God uses trials in our life to mold us, to shape us. When I first read that verse, I would have never thought that I'd be sharing it at a, at a conference across the world. But God, it was using things to be glorified, those trials. This is a reminder for, for those of us here this morning that are called by God. You've heard me say this before. When Jesus calls us, he bids us come and die. Now that's a hard thing. That's to die to the world and to die to the flesh. But then he gives you the life in Christ. So let's begin again with verse 3 of our chapter this morning. He says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Which leads me to my first point. And I see some of you guys are taking notes and I love it when I see that. Point number one, glory in tribulation. The Greek word for glory, it means to boast, to, to be joyful and to rejoice. You see, God promised us this, that we can rejoice in tribulation. God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that is why we can rejoice. It doesn't mean that everything is good in our life. When we get hurt, when there is evil done on us, yes, that, that is evil. But God works and uses it for good. Now, this is a promise that only believers have. The world doesn't have this promise. This is something that is promised to us as children of God. And if, let's say you're walking one way and you're not abiding in Christ and you're walking down a path and, and you're walking away from the Lord, all the trials are just building up and amassing in your life. All the sin is just making things worse and worse for you. But the moment you say, okay, you know what? I don't want to follow the flesh and the world anymore. You turn around and begin to follow after God. God miraculously takes all the filth that this world threw at you and works it together for good for you. Now, that's amazing to me. The Greek word for tribulation, it's oppressing together. It has to do with oppression, distress, and persecution. And I ask you guys this morning, and you guys could think of this in your mind. Where are the trials hitting you right now? Or where have they been hitting you? Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're not in a trial today. Maybe you're like, man, God's just really been blessing me. Things are really good. Which is awesome. And there's a, a place for that. 
But if you're not in a trial today, it's because maybe you just came out of one or you're headed for one. And, and with that, we have to be prepared of, of how do we handle the trials in our life. What about trials in, in marriage and relationships? I, my wife and I this year, we struggled with spiritual warfare and lies from the enemy. And, and there was a, a trial that was, came to us and, and we were hurt even by people close to us. And we would be in, in a place where I was going before the Lord. Lord, am I right before you? Because why is this happening? Why are we being attacked by the enemy? And what's going on? And I had to ask God, am I right with you? And God began to give me convictions of, of trusting in him, of, of having faith that he was leading me and guiding me. And I didn't even know what, what the result would turn out to be. And, and I saw just the fruit of that. And, and God got us through those things. And God really rescued us. And God was teaching us together how to go through hardships. We, we learned first and foremost, we definitely need to pray together more through these things. Prayer is powerful. What about trials in ministry? Maybe uh, for, for us here this morning, there's uh, trials just to get to this church building today. Everything is just getting thrown out at your way. The, the kids are, are acting up. The, the, the argument that was left past week suddenly resurfaces. It has to be that morning. And, and all these things that the spiritual realm is attacking us in, we need to give that to the Lord. Seasons of life I have gone through have shown me that, that the church building, it's not safe from spiritual warfare. Oh yeah. I, I think I've shared with you guys, there was a, a time in my life when I was part-time secular job and then part-time ministry. And it was this great balance of like of getting filled by, by the Lord and the, and the Spirit and then going out into the world and being used there. And then God took me then to a, a place of, of a full-time career, for working 40 hours a week, and I felt like I was barely like making it to church, like sliding into home base. And whenever I would get to church, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm safe. I'm here. And the Lord would use that little bit of like refreshment to then send me back out into the world. And then I went from that to working full-time ministry, a full-time job at a church. And I did that for a season. And that was where I learned that I can't run from myself. And then that was also where I learned as I was in the church, suddenly I started to realize, like, hey, man, like, this guy's acting like a sinner right now. This girl's acting like a sinner. We're in church. And I started to feel like this, this, we're supposed to be, like, the, the leaders. And then suddenly I had to look at myself and be like, wait a second. Like, I'm working in a church. And this, look how I'm acting. And I, I saw that God uses broken people to do his ministry. We're all sinners. And there was even a place in my life where I had to decide, okay, I'm either going to be stumbled by sinners in, in church or, and, and leave ministry, or I'm going to realize, okay, God, you're, you're doing a work in their lives. You're doing a work in my life. 
So let me do what you've called me to do. And that was what I, what I felt the Lord lead me in. It's just continuing forth. See, Satan loves it when church people become his instruments. Remember, like, like Judas. He was close to Jesus and the disciples. And then he got filled with Satan and he betrayed Jesus. And maybe we think if we could just go back in time, take a shotgun with us, break the door down and be like, go in there with Judas and be like, stay away, like Terminator or something, right? Maybe we think we could do that, right? That's what we would do. We'd be like, yeah, get that guy and beat him up before he could ever touch Jesus. But is that how we see Jesus treating Judas? Mm -mm. It's not, isn't it? What did Jesus do with Judas on the Last Supper? You guys remember he took the attire of a slave and he washed Judas' feet. Like, man, the humility that Jesus showed in love towards Judas. It's hard for us to serve one another, but let alone one of our enemies. Remember then that we serve God first. Whether you're a salesman, a tradesman, whether you're a business, businessman, a nurse, a teacher, or a minister, you work for God. And you work for God, and you work unto God. He puts people over us, absolutely. But when you're working for God, it makes things so much better. Because then you could complain to him, rather than a man or a woman. What about trials and our needs? We've gone through trials and our needs, haven't we? For the last two years, we saw how trials affected the entire world with COVID. It affected people's well-being. People lost jobs, health. People lost sanity and, and even life. And maybe we've been battling with health issues in our life. Or maybe the loss of a, of a loved one. And I'm reminded of Job. You guys know the account of Job, the book of Job, how Satan attacked him. He covered him from head to toe in boils. Job's family was killed in a storm and many possessions were taken from Job. And Job responded to all of this. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job still worshipped God in his season of trial. I met, once met a, a woman named Connie. I think you guys maybe have, some of you have heard me refer to her before. She was disabled at a young age because she was burned in a house fire where her whole body was scarred. And she was rescued by her mom, pulled her out of that f fire that started from a water heater and pulled her out of that fire, but her entire body was scarred at a young age. And if that wasn't enough, later on, as, as the little girl was, she recovered from that and was outside playing on the street one day. At the age of eight years old, a, a drunk driver going up the street hit her and drug her body up her street, which made her lose her ability to walk 
And because of the, the amount of trauma that her body was, t- was taking place in her body, her eyesight began to fade away. And a- as a young girl, she became, as she was growing older, because she, she survived that, she began to become angry with God and depressed, even to the point uh, of suicidal. And at her lowest point, because she knew of God, she said, okay, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to rescue me from what I'm going through emotionally. And she gave her life to the Lord. And when I met her in Israel, man, she was in a wheelchair being carried by her cousin over rocks in Israel and just had the joy of the Lord. Was just so excited, so happy. And, And keep in mind, she could barely see what's going on. People would have to tell her, oh, this is like this, this is like that. And she would kind of see some images, but for the most part, it wasn't detailed. But people would explain to her where she's at. She would hear the stories. She would smell the air. It's like, man. And, and when, I, when I found out about her story, a little bit about it, I, I asked her then, tell me your testimony. I want to know. And then at the end of that story, of her account, she told me, you know, so God promised me uh, I'm going to get my eyesight back. And I was like, whoa. The faith and, and the joy of this woman. It reminds me of that verse in 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 13. Paul wrote to them, he said, And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, We can abide in faith and hope and love. And without trials in our life, why would we need faith? Why would we need hope and love? If everything was perfect, why would we need, why would we feel the need to depend on God? No, but God uses these things in our life. And it helps us to grow in these things. See, trials, they're countless, aren't they? I could go through so many different topics of what you could be struggling in. But they're not infinite. You see, God is infinite. He's infinite in his grace. He's infinite in his love and in his power. So if you are suffering, here's some four Notes that I want you guys to write down that you, we can do when we are in a season of trial is number one, immediately submit to God. Immediately submit to God. Number two, thank God in trials. Thank him. And number three, spend time in his word and in prayer. I would say send, spend a lot of time in word and prayer. And fourthly, glorify God with your life. Allow him to use it. Glorify God with your life. Remember, Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. He said it, it was literally Satan had sent this ailment upon his body. And he began to pray and ask God three times for this thorn to be removed and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, as Paul was praying for God to remove the thorn, God responded to Paul and said, My grace is sufficient for you. 
For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, God's grace is what we need to rely on in in our trials. Now let's look at verse three one more time of Romans chapter five. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So this leads me to point number two this morning. Tribulation produces perseverance. The Greek word or the Greek phrase produces perseverance, what it literally means, it means it achieves patience. It achieves endurance and also continual persistence. I remember learning how to surf for the first time, maybe about seven, six or seven years ago. And me and a a few of our friends were, were out there for the first time getting on on our our foam boards and and paddling out in San Onofre. And the first thing is you got to put the wetsuit on, which that's already uncomfortable. I think I put mine on backwards for the first time. And then we we start going out on the water. And the the water in San Onofre, when you first walk out, the rocks are just so sharp. And it's not like a sandy beach right there. It's like you're literally going step by step over all these hard rocks, and it's all wet and slippery. And so your feet are getting beat up. And then once you get past that, you put the board on the water and you start trying to paddle out. And, the, and the, one of the hardest things to learn how to do is to learn how to get past the break. Because the waves are coming in, the white water is washing over and you're like on the board paddling and that wave hits you and you're flying backwards. The board's flying in the air. Ghastly set. She's seen it. <laughs> and it's hard when you're learning. And I remember one of my friends, as we were all paddling out there, we were going, he started to shout out epically. He would, we were all going out and he's going, endure, persevere, endure. <laughs> and it was kind of funny at the time, but we, and we made it and we learned. But that's what it reminds me of endurance. That's what our life sometimes is like, our spiritual walk. It's, it's, a, it's a walk of endurance. It's not a sprint because it continues. Thinking about endurance, I've seen how God, he has kept me going. In 2011, I was saved. I told you guys about that. And then after serving at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs for seven years, I then joined staff for a year and a half. And then in January 2018, I believed God was calling me to go back to work as a a sec- in a secular job, and start a home Bible study. And at that time in my life, I, I was working at a big church. And it could have looked foolish for some, even for myself at the time, to leave that place, to go work a secular job and start a, a home Bible study. But I felt that that was what God wanted me to do, so I followed that. And I saw God begin to bless the work. I saw fruit start to come forth. And from... The, the backyard Bible study, we moved to a park. And then from a park, we moved to uh, the, the senior citizen centers. And then eventually, in January 2020, we started Sunday mornings at a small, as a small church at the public youth center in Glendora. 
And that was fun. I was like, wow, this is awesome when we all we just started there. And we were going strong for three months. And then what happened January in March 2020, if you guys remember? Does anyone remember what happened? COVID happened. <laughs> yeah. And that was, okay, the Lord's closing the doors here. We went for a season just online. We did the online study thing, which was, was awesome. The Lord was teaching me. But I, I missed the, the fellowship. And then eventually, as soon as we can meet together back in person, we started to meet at my parents' house on Sunday mornings. And then I got married in April 2021. <laughs> and it was as if we, we got married and before the wedding date, we were already planning on, okay, we're going to get the church building. And we got married and didn't have, or I'm sorry, the month that we were before we were about to get married, we, ha we found this building, we put the, the money down for the lease and we couldn't do anything really here because we were planning a wedding. We were going to get married that month. So I was like, okay, so we're not going to be able to work much yet here. And then as soon as we got married, then we started working here. It's like right away. We're like, okay, we got to get the church up and running. The leases are, the payments are coming. And we had to trust the Lord with our finances. And God provided every step of the way. And June 2021, you guys know, we started our Redeemed Church Fellowship here. And now it's almost six months and it's, it's been a blessing. And, and the Lord has been showing me and my wife and you guys, my mom, my dad, people who are part of this fellowship, what it is to endure. What it is to endure in this season. And I know as a church, we've been learning that. And I, I not only at this point in my life can I say that God can do it, but I can say God did it in my life. I've seen him do it. So, in verse 4, he says, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. He's saying this is what perseverance leads to. It leads to character. Character in the Greek, what that means is experience. It means tested and tried. It means trustworthy. Which leads me to my third point. Preparation never stops. You see, God uses every step of the way for preparation every step sometimes we're thinking like okay we're just trying to get from point a uh to point z and then once we get to point z that that's it we've made it but no even point z is preparation he's going to take you now to the numbers or something <laughs> yeah first timothy i'm sorry timothy chapter 4 verse 12 paul wrote to timothy he said let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I love this verse. As Timothy was a pastor. He was leading a church. And one thing that I have been encouraged in my youth is that people might question my experience because I'm young. But don't let them question your walk. Don't let them question your holiness. Be blameless. Integrity is under attack today in the church. 
even outside of the church, but I'm, I'm speaking to Christians here this morning. Because we hear of the tragedies of people in ministry and pastors backsliding. And I want to encourage us, we need to keep Jesus first in our life. We need to stay in our word and in prayer. And we need to stay accountable. We need people in our lives who love us, who are spiritual, who when we are falling away, are going to say, hey, I love you, and I don't think that the way that you're going is right. And people who are going to reconcile us back and restore us back to God. That's what we need in our life, accountability. And the enemy, when we've fallen, he loves to remind us of the work that he did in the past. But if we're in Christ, there's no more condemnation. I love this truth that today is the first day of the rest of your lives. So we don't need to focus so much on the past. That's maturity. And then as far as experience goes, maybe we, we feel like, man, I'm, I'm so inexperienced at times. And I'm just, a, a, I'm, I'm failing at, at times. I remember the way Chuck Smith used to use this illustration of eagles, the way they trained their young. See, the eagles, they would teach its young how to fly. They would jump from branch to branch. But then eventually, they would get that little baby chick who was in the nest, and they would start to push it out of the nest. And then force it to fall out of the nest so that it's falling now. And as it's falling, it's trying to flap its wings. And it's thinking it's maybe going to hit the ground. And right before it hits the ground, the mama eagle comes and grabs that bit little bird, takes it back up and puts it in the nest. And it's like, all right, you all right? You all right? You good? Okay, cool. We're going to do it again tomorrow. And then eventually that little baby eagle starts to learn how to flap its wings, starts to learn how to fly. And this is how they grow. And this is what God will do in your life. He'll take you to a place at times, he does this, where suddenly he pushes you out to a place where you don't have the security net anymore. He causes faith to grow. He takes you to a place where you can't depend on anyone, not even on yourself, and you have to put all your dependence on God. Like that little baby bird that's falling and it's like, oh my gosh, God save me. And God wants us to get to that point so we can learn to depend upon him. And eventually, we pray spiritually, we begin to fly and we begin to be used by him. And God will prepare us. The Greek word for hope is an expectation of good. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what that kind of means, what it means really is, is that faith is equal to believing that God works all for good. Even when we don't see it. That's what faith and hope, that's what they do in our life. There was, here's another example from nature, mice. Mice once were, were put into, by, by scientists, by psychologists, they wanted to test and see if they could build hope 
and little mice. Now, if there's anyone here who really loves mice, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but they used to, what they used to do is put mice in a bucket of water and see how long that they could swim for before they drowned. And then they would take another test group of mice and right before those mice were about to give up and die and drown, they would pull those mice out of the water, dry them off, get them some food, and then they would put them back in the water and see how long that they would swim for. And progressively, the test groups that were taken out of the water, they would last longer and longer and longer. And they would continue to do that practice to the, to the mice to see, okay, how long will they, they last the next time? And the reason being is because the mice, they had learned that way. We were swimming, we were swimming, but then somebody picked us up out of the water and we survived. So keep swimming because someone might pick us up out of the water and we might survive. And it taught them hope. And they saw that. And God wants to build your hope. So don't give up. In Psalms 27, verse 13 through 14, David wrote this. He said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's to abide with Christ, to wait on the Lord, not to get out of Jesus' presence. Again in verse 5, Paul wrote, Now hope does not disappoint. When we are expecting God to be good, we're never let down. Why? Because God is all good. And hope in God is solid. God is always pouring out his love, remember? And we just have to be open to receive it because we could also reject his love. Remember God's attributes, that he is all-loving, all-powerful. He's all-good and he's all-knowing. And he cares about you. Again in verse 5, he says, Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, there's a hole in our, our heart that only God can fill. And the love of God needs to be poured into it. When we're trying to put other things in that hole in our heart, we're never satisfied. And then in fact, it just leads to that, that hole being warped and shaped into some sort of perversity where we're just trying to fill ourselves with the world that's never fulfilling. And so often we trade God's love, his presence, for those idols in our life. And the reason why we do that is because we really sometimes we don't believe that he's all we need. When that's the truth. So let's allow God to fill our hearts with his love. Which leads me to my fourth point this morning and my last point this morning. Let God work in you, not just through you. Like, well, what, do you what do you mean? So one of the biggest lessons I had to learn was when I first got saved and began to develop my relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, I felt God working in me. I felt God was, was speaking to me personally and healing me and delivering me from bondage, from depression, and also now filling me with his joy, with his peace, with his love, and God was working in me. 
And it was an awesome season of my life. And then as, as I began to mature, I wanted to share that with other people. And as I was being in ministry and serving, I began to see God working through me, not just in me, but God was working through me. And I, I loved that feeling too. When I began to see other people's lives were impacted by me, the instrument, or by God through me, the instrument. But I became so addicted, or I, or I became to love that feeling so much that I began to neglect the things that God was doing when I first was saved of God working in me. And I began to focus just on God working through me. And when I was beginning to neglect God working in me, even God working through me started to be affected. And I had to learn. I had to learn that God wants to work in me as much as he wants to work through me. So don't get distant from God in your life, in your heart. Allow him to speak to you personally. What does this verse say again? It says the Holy Spirit was given to us. See, not only do we belong to God, but God gave us the Holy Spirit. The way that a, a wife is given to a husband, this is intimacy with God. Now, we, we can't command the Holy Spirit like a genie. It's not how, he's not a vending machine. So it's not how it works. Some people try to treat God that way, and it's wrong. But we partake in relationship through the Spirit to Jesus. And if we allow God in us, then that power of God, what can stand against us? And where does all this blessing come from? This ability to be, have the Holy Spirit belong to us. What, what, do you guys remember why we were given the Holy Spirit? It was Jesus. He died on the cross, was buried. But before that, he told his disciples, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you. And they say, no, please, Jesus, don't leave us. Don't go. He said, no, it's better for you if I do go. Because when I go, I'm going to send you the helper, the paracletus. And he's going to guide you in all things and give you wisdom in all things. And so Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, was buried for three days, three nights, was resurrected, came and appeared to the disciples. And then after a series of, of days, he then went and ascended into heaven and then he said, told the disciples, look, wait in Jerusalem and tarry there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now imagine as a disciple, you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> the Holy Spirit come upon me. And so they were there. They just waited in Jerusalem. And one day as they were praying and waiting upon the Lord, suddenly the, the tongues of fire appeared above their heads and they began to speak in different languages that they didn't understand and speak in tongues. And the Holy Spirit came in them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And since then, the Holy Spirit has been guiding the church, guiding us as believers. So the Holy Spirit belonging to us, that comes from Jesus on the cross. Which to me is one of the greatest examples of going through suffering, of persevering through suffering, persevering through trial. It wasn't easy 
for Jesus to have all that pain put on him. That's why he was sweating drops of blood the night before because he knew what was coming. He knew the the pain that was going to be brought upon him. But even more so, more so than all the physical pain he was going to endure, he knew all the sins of the entire world were going to be placed upon him. So keep in mind, when martyrs, when believers are killed for their faith, the pain that they endure, they're sharing with the sufferings of Christ, but in that, those moments for those martyrs, they are joined to God. They are joined with Jesus. When Jesus was up on the cross dying for our sins, he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And there was separation between God the Father and Jesus his Son because what was holy suddenly took on our sin. And there had to be that separation. So Jesus paid that price. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, we read Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now what a lesson of endurance. What an example of endurance for us. Jesus going through the cross. Why? Because he was looking, he had his eyes on the prize. First he was honoring the Father, doing what the Father called him to do. He was being obedient to his Father. But secondly, he saw all of us here and was like, man, I I desire, I want to have a relationship with them for eternity. So because of that, he said, you guys are my gem. You guys are my hidden treasure that I am willing to throw, put away my life so that I can obtain you as my gem. And that's how Jesus views us. So he endured the suffering so that we can have a relationship with him. And that's the most beautiful thing. That's the gospel message right there. So this season that we're in, the season of of Christmas and of being reminded of why Jesus came to this world. Remember, Jesus loves you so much. And we can look at at even what he's been teaching us today. He has been teaching us, number one, to glory and tribulation. Glorify God in it. Number two, that tribulation, the trials we go through, it's producing perseverance. Number three, that the preparation, it never stops. And lastly, let God work in you not just three of you. Let's pray.